Today on the Tove Podcast, we explore the differences between the Millennial Kingdom and the Eternal State. Although these two unique ages are often conflated, the scriptures are clear that they are two distinct periods with different characteristics. We explore those distinctions today on the Tove Podcast. You are listening to the Tove Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Our outline is from a helpful book entitled Charts of Bible Prophecy by Dr. Wayne House and Dr. Randall Price. I have found this thin, easy-to-follow workbook a helpful handy reference for my personal Bible study. It's available in both hard copy as well as on Kindle. I'll include a link to the book on the Tove Facebook page in case any of you would like to order it. To begin today's episode, I'd like to tell a story as recorded by Dr. Michael Vlock in his book entitled Premillennialism, Why There Must Be a Future Earthly Kingdom of Jesus. The story is as follows. Legend has it that some seminary students once asked their professor for his view of the millennium. Was he a premillennialist, an amillennialist, or a postmillennialist? None of them, replied the professor. I'm panmillennial. The students were confused, since they'd never heard of such a view. What's that? they asked. He replied, Everything will pan out in the end. Now this story continues to bring a smile to those who are aware of the ongoing debates concerning the timing of the millennium. But what started as a joke has gained some traction. Some who have tired over this debate have embraced the title of pan-millennialist, affirming an agnostic view of the timing of the millennium. I even came across a book that listed pan-millennialism as a millennial view alongside the pre, ah, and post views. The pan-millennial approach, whether held formally or informally, is sad. It gives the impression that the details of God's plans to restore all things are not that important, at least not the millennial phase of it. But events to come are necessary to our Christian worldview. We should be interested in these matters. Would you persevere through three-fourths of a good movie and then leave before the ending? Or how many enjoy a good book but then refuse to read the final chapters? These questions seem silly since the ending matters a lot. But some Christians are willing to forego God's future plans. They dive deeply into matters related to creation, the fall, and redemption and Messiah, but then punt on the timing and nature of Jesus' kingdom. But that is not the right approach. In fact, it is short-sighted. So on today's Tove podcast, I'd like to dive down into the differences between the millennium and eternity future. Why? Well, number one, The Bible makes those differences clear, and so I thought it would be helpful to point them out. Number two, studying the end times gives us a biblical perspective on the future. Hopefully, if you're a Bible reader and you believe the Bible, you want to have a biblical perspective. And number three, having a correct biblical perspective changes the way we live today. 
it changes the hope we have, for instance, in the future. And it changes what we do with our time in the now. So without further ado, the first difference that I'll be pointing out between the millennial kingdom and eternity future is the length of time between the two. As we'll see in a comparison of just two passages, the length of time between Messiah's earthly reign, also known as the Messianic kingdom or the millennial kingdom, is vastly different than the description of what most of us refer to as eternity, eternity future, heaven, or eternal life. Our primary text for the first length of time is found in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. As you'll notice, the period of time, 1,000 years, is mentioned on six different occasions in just these eight verses. Quote, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for 1,000 years. He threw him into the abyss, closed it, and put a seal on it, so that he would no longer deceive the nations until the 1,000 years were completed. After that, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge. I also saw the people who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of God's word, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with the Messiah for 1,000 years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the 1,000 years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of the Messiah, and they will reign with him for 1,000 years. When the 1,000 years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. Now, again, that's Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. I'd encourage you to look it up yourself. We will be coming back to this particular passage on numerous occasions. But first, I just want to point out that according to Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 8, there is a period, a kingdom period, that lasts 1,000 years. That 1,000 years is mentioned on six different occasions. Now, I'd like to compare this to the length of time of eternity future. Just a chapter later in Revelation 21, verse 1, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. We skip to verse 4. He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer, because the previous things have passed away. Night will no longer exist, and people will not need lamplight or sunlight, because the Lord God will give them light. And this is the key and they will reign forever and ever. So we see there that there is a difference in the length of time, specified as 1,000 years in Revelation 20, and specified as forever and ever, or for eternity, in Revelation chapter 21. 
both of these statements cannot be describing the same time period. Andrew M. Woods, in his book The Coming Kingdom, points out four reasons why 1,000 years should be taken as a literal 1,000-year period. Now, why does Mr. Woods make this point? Well, because there are many who believe that since the book of Revelation contains many symbols, the number 1,000 should also be taken as symbolic. For example, Mr. Woods quotes Kenneth L. Gentry as representative of those who want to employ an allegorical interpretation. An allegorical interpretation makes the 1,000 years something else. Mr. Gentry writes, quote, The proper understanding of the 1,000-year time frame in Revelation 20 is that it is representative of a long and glorious era and is not limited to a literal 365,000 days or 1,000 years. This figure represents a perfect cube of 10, which is the number of quantitative perfection, end quote. Now, is Brother Kenneth Gentry correct that 1,000 is symbolic? Again, Mr. Woods points out four reasons why the number 1,000 should be taken as a literal 1,000 years. First, John knows how to use indefinite concepts when he wants to. In verse 8, for example, John uses the simile, like the sand of the seashore, to describe the number of those involved in a final rebellion. Yet, such conspicuous figurative expression is absent in any of John's six uses of 1,000 years. Second, in the rest of the Greek New Testament, when a number is associated with the word year or years, this linguistic combination always refers to a literal duration of time. Why should the six-fold repetition of the thousand years found in Revelation 20 be the only interpretive exception to this rule? Number three, if the number 1,000 is not literal, how then do we interpret all the other numbers in the book of Revelation? For example, what do we do with the two witnesses found in chapter 11, verse 3? Or the 7,000 people found in chapter 11, verse 13? How about the four angels in chapter 7, verse 1? Or the seven angels in chapter 8, verse 6? How about the 144,000 Jewish believers found in chapter 7, verse 4? Or the 12,000 from each tribe found in chapter 7, verses 5 through 8? How about the 42 months in chapter 11, verse 2? Or the 1,260 days in chapter 11, verse 3. Thus, not taking 1,000 literally in Revelation 20 casts suspicion upon every other number in the book, thereby rendering all of them nonsensical and meaningless. And fourth, while Revelation is indeed a symbolic book in that it contains many symbols, not everything in the book is a symbol. Generally, when an author wants his readers to take something symbolically, he tells the reader to do so. Just a couple examples will suffice. We should not take the woman in Revelation 17 as a literal woman. Why? Because verse 18 in the very same chapter tells us that the woman represents a city. The same can be said of the dragon or the serpent, who represents Satan according to the immediate context. In conclusion, 
the length of time between the millennial kingdom and eternity future is different. And that's just one difference that shows that these are two distinct periods of time. The second characteristic that is different is this. In the millennial kingdom, it appears we have the existence of death. But in eternity future, death has been wiped away. Isaiah chapters 60 through 66 present a wonderful picture of the Messianic kingdom. It describes the Messianic kingdom to come, as well as Messiah's retribution against those who refuse to acknowledge his right to the throne. More specifically, Isaiah chapter 65 verses 19 to 21 teach us that there is the possibility of death during this period. Quote, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. In her, Jerusalem, a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days, or an old man not live out his days. Here's the kicker. Indeed, the youth will die at a hundred years, and the one who misses a hundred years will be cursed. In other words, this description of the Millennial Kingdom is saying that the natural people who are part of the Millennial Kingdom, those that are not already regenerated, they will live really long lives. If somebody dies at 100 years old, they'll be considered a youth. Now, this is in contrast, again, to John's description in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 4. He says, he, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. Isaiah's description and John's description cannot be speaking about the same era. For one says that it's possible for someone to die at a hundred, and the other says death is wiped away. That brings us to the third distinction between these two eras, and that is the existence of the sin nature. At the end of the millennial kingdom, Satan is released. This is described in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. Quote, When the 1,000 years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. They came up over the surface of the earth and surrounded the encampment of the saints, the beloved city, that's Jerusalem. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So what we see here is that there's enough people at the end of the millennial kingdom that they are deceived by Satan when he's released. Now, this is in contrast to the next chapter in Revelation 21, where John is describing the new heavens and the new earth, which are full of only regenerated people. 23 through 27 say this, quote, The city, Jerusalem, does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, because God's glory illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Each day its gates will never close, because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Verse 27. 
Nothing profane will ever enter it. No one who does what is vile or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, John's description in Revelation 20 of an era where people are deceived by Satan and his description in chapter 21, where nothing vile or false can even enter the city, are different. Both cannot be true at the same time. We're going to take a small break, and when we come back, we're going to look at the final two distinctions between the Millennial Kingdom and Eternity Future. Since 1887, Life in Messiah has helped Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's ongoing commitment to His people. We teach that anti-Semitism is inconsistent with biblical faith, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which includes her spiritual renewal as well as physical safety. In all we do, our priority is to share the gospel message. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or at lifeinmessiah.org. That's lifeinmessiah.org. Welcome back to the Tove Podcast. We are discussing the differences between the Millennial Kingdom, where Jesus reigns on the throne from Jerusalem, and eternity future, where a new Jerusalem and a new heaven and a new earth are present. That brings us to the third distinction between these two eras. As we've read, Satan is bound during the 1,000-year reign of the Messiah. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 and 3, it says this, quote, he, the angel, seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for 1,000 years. He threw him into the abyss. Note where Satan is thrown. He threw him into the abyss, closed it, and put a seal on it so that he would no longer be able to deceive the nations until the 1,000 years were completed. After that, he must be released for a short time. Now, as we see, the abode during the Millennial Kingdom is the abyss. But just a few verses later, we learn that Satan's final abode, where he'll be punished for all eternity, is not in the abyss. Directly after Satan is released from the abyss, he sets out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth. We know that his final effort to replace God is a dismal failure, as we see in Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So not only is the location different, one's the abyss, the other one is the lake of fire and sulfur, but also the time period is different. One, he's bound for a thousand years and then released. The other one, he is bound day and night forever and ever. That brings us to the final distinction between these two periods of time. And that is, the political and religious center will differ. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 tells us that the locus of both political and religious activity will be in Jerusalem. Quote, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it, and many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths. For instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That is a great depiction of Jerusalem during the millennial kingdom with the Messiah 
reigning on the throne. Isaiah's description, though, is slightly different than John's in the book of Revelation. Why? Because they're describing two different periods of time. Revelation 21 provides a description of the new heavens and earth, as well as the new Jerusalem. I won't read the entire chapter, but verses 1 and 2 of Revelation 21 make the point. Quote, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. End quote. The point is quite simple. Throughout the Bible, we find descriptions of a future Jerusalem, much like Isaiah's description. This is an earthly Jerusalem, seated high above the rest of the mountains, with a Jewish king reigning over his kingdom. But John's description is different. It's a new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven. In conclusion, I'd like to end with a quote from the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon. He says the following, It is also certain that the Jews, as a people, will yet own Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, as their king, and that they will return to their own land. Referring to the Messiah, Spurgeon continues, He will reign amongst his ancients gloriously, and there will be a thousand years of joy and peace, such as were never known on this earth before. I hope this in-depth study of the Millennial Kingdom versus Eternity Future has sparked some questions for you. Maybe it's caused you to think deeper about your eschatology. Thanks for joining us today on the Tove Podcast. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes, you can find us on Spotify or iTunes. And if you found this episode helpful, chances are your friends will too. Feel free to pass the link along to them for their listening pleasure. May God bless you richly. Shalom in Messiah.